Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. It's January 3rd. What's up, y'all? It is the day in 1521 that... Pope Leo X excommunicated one Martin Luther from the Catholic Church. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Did he, did he, he didn't get killed at that point, though. He did not get killed at that point. No. No. And maybe you're not familiar with what we're talking about. Maybe you even have come out of the Catholic Church, and you're wondering, well, what in the world? Uh, Martin Luther, when he posted his 95 Theses, which was on October 31st, I believe, uh, he 15, was... 16 or 15, 17? One of the two, because we just recently had the 500th anniversary. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, but uh, he was not trying to start a brand new sect. He was not trying to break off from the Catholic Church. He was trying to reform the Catholic Church uh, because the Catholic Church had drifted severely from the teachings of Scripture. And so Luther was trying to bring needed correction to that. And in so doing, uh, it quickly became evident that the Catholic Church was unwilling to reform. And that necessitated the offshoot of what is now the Protestant church. But uh, needless to say, that was not met uh, with, uh, with kind regards by the Pope. And so Luther found himself on the outs from the Pope, but uh, certainly not on the outs. We wouldn't say with uh, his relationship with God. And, and certainly we are grateful for uh, much of what he did. Not everything that he did. He had some, he wasn't finished reforming. Yeah. He was still in process. Yeah, for sure. But we can honor him and be thankful for him. Right. Right. Yeah. One of the, one of the things he was uh, protesting was the selling of indulgences, that there was this idea that the uh, Pope and his uh, minions, so to speak, could uh, grant a, a special dispensation of forgiveness. And then they were selling those to people on top of that. So, I mean, there was multiple layers of corruption there. And you might think, well, why all this talk about something that was going on back in 1500s? Well, the Pope, I think we just mentioned this on a recent episode at the end of last year, has announced that he's going to be issuing indulgences again. Woo-hoo. So uh, we really have kind of come full circle in not a very good way. Well, and part of that is the idea that you would lessen your time in purgatory, right? where they believe, Catholics believe, that you can purge off purgatory, purge some of the sins that you've accumulated that were not able to be forgiven in life before you died. And so we as Protestants, those who have protested against that, would tell you that you don't need that at all. Because Jesus paid it all. When Jesus died on the cross for sin, he died on the cross for all of our sin. And that includes those that we die in. So there will be a time when I'm sure you will die, we will die, before we have a chance to say, Lord, please forgive me for that sin. Right. There's a ton of sins that we never even think about that God must forgive us, uh, must atone for us through Christ. And that's where this idea of putting your faith in Christ is so comprehensive. It's not just for the sins that I'm aware of. It's the sins that I don't even know that I'm committing. The sins that happen almost subconsciously. I, have you ever had a, a bad dream where it's like, man, that was an awful dream. I, yep. I, I sinned in the dream and it's like, I feel terrible. I wake up feeling like I actually did the thing. Now, I'm not going to say that that in and of itself is sin, but man, if if the if the mouth communicates what's in the heart, what do your dreams communicate? Oof, I, get, I get nervous about that. Nevertheless, I, I'm convinced. Even if I didn't ask for forgiveness for those sins, Jesus would still forgive me for those sins. Yeah. And therefore, I don't need to go to purgatory and have any sins burned away in order for me to be right with God because Jesus made me right with God. It's also why we don't practice last rites, uh, which is something that you'll hear about and, and you'll see depicted in movies and on battlefields where the chaplain will come and administer last rites to the dying soldier. And that's 
the, the right of that opportunity to confess one last time before he, he dies. And that's not something that we practice because of what you're just saying there. It's, it's not, it's, it's not, not a non-issue. We're not the mediator. It's not a non-issue. No, it's not a non-issue, but, um, we're certainly not the mediator that grants that forgiveness that's needed before somebody dies. That's, that's been taken care of by Christ on the cross. That's right. So, well, I would be remiss. I know we're, we're, we're turning a page. We've got, our church is growing. We're not, we're not doing birthdays across the board, but my daughter's birthday is today and I only have one of them. And so I have to wish my daughter a birthday. So happy birthday. I Annie. thought that's what you were starting the podcast with. Yeah. 500 years ago today. Annie was, born. Annie was born. Yeah. She's much older than she looks. We're, we believe in reincarnation. Uh, yeah, no, we don't actually not at all, <laughs> but yeah, Annie, Annie, it's your birthday and I love you and I'm grateful for you and I know you listen. So happy birthday. If you really love her, you would sing her a song because I know that that's something so rare that for you to do that on the podcast would demonstrate the kind of love that only a father can have for a daughter. So without further ado, I sang to her at home because I don't, I don't need to do it publicly. (laughs) I have every opportunity to just sing to her at at the house. So I will sing her happy birthday there. Okay. So I think you should do more than that. I, I don't, I don't want to. Okay. So, and it doesn't mean that I love her any less. Okay. Yeah. Hey, uh, we are in Genesis today and then Job tomorrow. What? But it'll make sense, I think, I hope. If not, then we haven't done our job. Well, yeah. The, 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 the beauty about the chronological plan is that we're going to have so many... I mean, we're, we're, not going, <laughs> we're not going through the whole book uh, in one fell swoop. We're going to be jumping off in different points. Right? Right. I mean, if you're looking at the bookmark that we handed out on Sunday... And by the way, if you don't have one and you want one, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe we could mail somebody a bookmark if they really want one. Maybe. That, that sounds yeah. like a possibility. If yeah. you want one and, and you don't have access to us physically, then send us an email at podcast. And a stamp. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe two stamps. <laughs> yeah, because it's a cool bookmark, man. I was, I don't, I'm pretty stoked about this. I got several of them on Sunday because I really like it. It is. It's It's stout. a substantial. Yeah. yeah. It's got I mean, some heft. You flexed it for everybody. I did. Yeah. And I also feel like if you, if you carry one in your pocket and you're in a pinch and someone attacks you, you could successfully pull out the bookmark and maybe use it as a, as a guard. Oh man, thick paper like thick paper gives bad paper cuts. It could be it could be devastating. Yeah, I got a paper cut. I got a cardboard cut while oh. tearing down the other day, the, a couple weeks ago at church. Oh man, I'm sorry. and now I'm scared of those boxes every time. Yep. I'm like, I don't want it, that again. It's it hurts, painful, man. Paper cuts they're like slow motion. Like you feel the fibers of your skin just ripping apart yeah. as you get yeah, one. It's awful. It's the worst. <sighs> yeah. Well, this paper. I can't guarantee it won't cut you, but the word of God might. Because it's a two-edged sword. Ooh. Hey-o. <laughs> this is why you tune in for gems like that. <laughs> well, hey, let's pick up in Genesis 8. And uh, we have covered up through the flood, and now the flood is uh, is going away. The flood is is done. And we're, we're grateful for that. I, I how long he was in that boat? That. He was in there for a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, just it looks like over a year. If the math is right, he was in that boat for over a year. I get stir crazy. I mean, remember, remember, remember when they locked us in our in our houses during yep. COVID? Yep. Governor yep. Newsom I, was like, "Hey, I can't go anywhere." Remember that? And he's like, "Hey, I'm going to the French Laundry." Remember that? I remember <laughs> yeah. that too. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But he was in there a long time. So how do you get a year? Because we always hear forty days, forty nights. Well, okay, forty days, forty nights of the flood. But he got in there early, and then he had to. And this is something I was going to point out. I don't know if we pointed out. We we didn't point it out last year. Point, you know why? Point away, because we didn't do this. We didn't do this last year. No. We we didn't start with Genesis. We started in the middle of the year. Okay, so in the middle of chapter eight and uh, verse thirteen, it says, "In the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month." So we're getting first day, first month. So it's kind of like the beginning of the year for us. 
the waters were dried from off the earth. So you see, just imagine in your mind here, Noah's looking off at the landscape and saying, man, everything's dry. This is fantastic. I can't wait to get off. I'm sure he doesn't want to be with those animals anymore. It doesn't smell too good. But notice this here. Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry in the second month. So verse 14, you're now fast forwarding over a month later. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then verse 15, God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and all the people. So he sits in there for over a month looking at a dry earth and saying, well, this is nice, but he doesn't do anything. He waits for God to tell him, which I think is an incredible mark of piety, humility by Noah. And I really appreciated that part. I read that and thought, wow, he was, he was just sitting there waiting. I don't know if I'd have the patience. Yeah, he did. Good, good catch. Good observation. I didn't see that. Uh, hey, verse 20, he gets off the, the uh, boat, though, and one of the first things that he does is he builds an altar. And this is, I believe, the first instance of an altar being built that we find in the Bible. Uh, is it possible there were altars prior to this? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, he knew to build one, so he probably had seen one built before this and had an understanding. But this is the first time that it's mentioned here. And then he offers uh, burnt offerings before the Lord. And so even though this is is not after the law, even though the law has not yet been given, it's it's not, we haven't had the situation in Sinai, we haven't had the Exodus, we haven't had all of this. There's an understanding of the, the necessity of sacrifice being offered to the Lord in an act of worship. So Noah does this. And then on the heels of that, of that offering, of that, uh, you could even say an atoning offering, in a sense, that, that Noah was offering that in atonement for his family, but also for the, the sins of, of all that had, had perished in the flood. God then uh, provides the covenant to Noah and promises that he will never again uh, curse the earth in that sense by by flooding it, by destroying it with water. And uh, it's it's an interesting section here. And there's there's uh, a couple things that he just says that that should give us comfort because I don't know if if you've heard of this thing called global warming. You probably have. Some people talk about it from time to time. This is new information. Is it? Okay, well, uh, verse 22 helps us. Not that we poo-poo the whole concept of climate change and and deny everything out there, but look at verse 22, because uh, in verse 22, God says, and part of the promise that he's not going to destroy the earth again, he says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So this idea that that the world is going to get to this place where where the the environment is going to be radically changed and and global warming is going to take place and there's not going to be any of these things anymore and all the crops are going to fail. God has promised that that's not going to happen so long as the earth is here and the earth remains. And so there's a, a promise given by God as he's making this covenant with Noah there in the end of chapter eight. Chapter nine, then we, uh, we get into, um, the, the reissuing of the creation mandate. Uh, the creation mandate was given first to the, actually to the animals when God wanted them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then it was given to Adam and Eve. And they were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the face of the earth. Well, we talked about it, I think, in yesterday's episode. Was this a worldwide flood? I think here's another evidence of uh, of support for that, that everyone is gone because God now looks to Noah and gives him the same creation mandate that he gave to Adam and Eve. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Uh, there's some other changes that take place post-flood. There's a change in diet. So if you enjoy meat, then you're thankful for the post-flood change in diet because it's, it's now that uh, mankind is given permission to go and to kill the animals animals for food, except God issues the the charge. You should not eat the blood with the animal because the life is contained in the blood of the animal. And that's something that will, that theme will repeat itself throughout the, uh, the pages of scripture. But 
This is God reinstituting and, and re-engaging uh, with mankind in his expectations. And then the formal covenant is given there in verses 9 through 17 of chapter 9, uh, where he promises to never do this again and says he'll hang his bow in the clouds, the rainbow, and says that he will remember. That's an interesting word that God uses multiple times here in this account in chapter 8 and chapter 9, the word remember. And uh, we think of remember as something that uh, you've forgotten something and then it comes to mind. Well, God is not a God who ever forgets anything. So this is not about forgetting. This is more stressing God's faithfulness to his word that, uh, that as the, 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 the bow is in the clouds, it, it's, it's God communicating to us again, anthropomorphism there in a, a sense that he would recall his faithfulness, not that he's forgotten, but that he will be faithful no matter what. It's a sure thing that's going to happen. Yeah. One of the cool things about chapter nine, I mean, there's several things. I remember reading this several years ago and verse six, jumping off the page to me, whoever sheds the blood of man by man, shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. And this is one of the keystone verses that we're going to use to define the sanctity of human life. In fact, if you look just a verse before that verse five, he says this, and for your lifeblood, uh, he says to Noah in, in reference to all of humanity, I will require a reckoning from every beast, I will require it. And from man. So that is to say, if, if an animal were to uh, somehow destroy human life, that animal must be dealt with. And that's happening. God's going to say this more explicitly when he unveils the law in the book of Leviticus, but he starts here and in, in the garden with Noah in the renewed garden, that is. And he says, look, life matters so much. And it's so important that if another man or an animal does something to that life, they forfeit their own lives. So verse six jumps in here. Um, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for, and this is the precedent for all this. God made man in his own image. And we talked about this earlier. Man is unique among the animals. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, even though he has qualities that animals share, it doesn't mean he's an animal himself, which is the argument of many uh, Darwinian evolutionists where we're not animals. We're different. Now what constitutes and qualifies the, the image of God? That's up for debate. And all that it suggests, uh, I heard one theologian talk about the image of God not being a set of qualities per se, but a position that God has given mankind dominion. And that's true only for him and not for any other animal. So whatever else he may or may not have, uh, you know, we think about a, a volition, what's the other two? Um, intellect and, no, uh, intellect, will. And what's the other one? Oh, emotion, intellect, and will. Thank you, Pastor PJ. Your eyes told me the answer. You're Appreciate welcome. That. You're welcome. That's what I'm here to do. <laughs> emotion, intellect, and will. Uh, some people don't have those things. Right. Some people don't have emotional capacity or intellectual capacity. Does that mean that the image of God is somehow not with them? No. We would say they still possess it uh, by right of who they are. They are in position, image bearers. And that's what's true for every single person. And that's what gives them value. And that's why we protect life and why we don't destroy it. And Genesis chapter 9 is one of the primary places you can argue this and argue it clearly yep yeah uh, something uh, awful happens in Genesis 9 as well. I, I mentioned the reissuing of the creation mandate. There, there's there's a lot of parallels between the opening of Genesis and here, Genesis chapter 8 and 9, with uh, life starting again post-flood, including, uh, you could call it the fall part two. Um, not that Noah and his family were sinless. They were, certainly were not, but, uh, but it's spotlighted here in verses 20 through 27 when you have Noah uh, getting drunk from some of the fruit of the vine as he was growing them. 
and uh, his sons saw his nakedness uncovered. There's a lot of debate as to what does that mean, and it's ambiguous, and we're going to leave it ambiguous for the purposes of the uh, the breadth of the uh, ages listening to the podcast, but it was certainly not good what his two, uh, what one of his sons did in particular, uh, but his two older sons took uh, the, the, the cloak, and they walked backwards so as not to see their father, and they covered him up to cover his shame. Um, there's a, one of the, the commentaries I read drew parallels here where you've got a lot of, of similarities between uh, the opening of uh, the situation with the fall in Genesis 3 and uh, this situation in Genesis 9, including the, uh, the curses that come after that and the judgment that befalls it. And certainly out of this uh, comes the, uh, the judgment against Ham. Uh, and from Ham come the Canaanites and the Egyptians. And think about them. We read about that in Genesis chapter 10. You get another genealogy here. Uh, and so you've got some pretty nasty, pretty awful people that, that descend from, uh, from the descendants here and, and part of the cursing and, and judgment that happens here. Um, and, uh, and, and so it's a, a tragic end of chapter 9 before we get into the, the genealogy of chapter 10. Just a reminder that sin still lurks in that Genesis 9.15 has not been fulfilled, or 3.15 has not been fulfilled yet, that we're still waiting on, on the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. Can you talk to the reason why Canaan is cursed when Ham is the offender in the prior verses? I was spending some time with this, and I, and I found it challenging. And I think there's, there's a couple decent answers at the end of the day, and I guess I'll just lay my cards on the table yeah. here. I think that Ham's error is as simple as what you read on the page. I'm, I'm, I go with that. I think that's the easiest, most upfront and obvious situation. And, and in fact, the fact that his brothers back up and they're covering their dad, I think that's what happened. Yeah. What you read is what actually took place. And any suggestion of innuendo is possible. I yeah. don't deny it. That's possible. I don't think that's what's happening. So I struggle then with saying, well, then why does, why does Noah curse Canaan? Well, why not Ham? Canaan is the offspring of Ham. So why not Ham himself? Do you have any ideas about that? I saw some some thoughts on that as well, including the sin of the father being passed on to the son, the, the generational curses being the focus there. I, I didn't see anything that, that was incredibly satisfactory as far as bringing a whole lot of clarity to that. Yeah, and, and the problematic part for this, in case you're, you're new to the Bible, which is great, glad you're joining us, um, Scripture seems to make it clear that you're responsible for your own sin. Right. And if your dad sins in certain ways, it doesn't mean that God's going to say, well, because your dad sinned, you're going to be cursed with this generational sin. You know, if your dad was an alcoholic, you're going to be an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, no, uh, we, we don't think that's the case here. So trying to put together the pieces, why is Canaan cursed? And at the end of the day, I don't know. Right. I, don't, I don't know. I don't have a good answer to this. And, and I think the, the best answer I heard has to assume that what's taking place in the ham scenario is more than what meets the eye. And again, I, I don't buy that. So right. who knows? We'll figure it out soon enough. Yep. We'll let you know. <laughs> well, Genesis chapter 10, then we get uh, the genealogy take two uh, because we saw the descendants of Adam. Remember Adam's family. Now we're in uh, the descendants of Noah here. And uh, I already mentioned from Ham come the Canaanites, the Egyptians. Notice in 1016, the Jebusites. That's an interesting name to remember because they show up multiple times, including they are the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the city of God, before David takes control of it and uh, and makes it the city of the Lord uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 5. So the Jebusites are one of those nations, when one of those people groups, when Joshua takes the promised land that he fails to drive out. And they kind of end up a, a thorn in the side of Israel until David uh, ends up uh, driving them out of Jerusalem there. So they're one of the descendants here. Uh, Shem is is blessed in the line of the, the promise. He is the one that, uh, that would ultimately be the, the one to continue the line of the promise, the Genesis 
that will ultimately manifest itself even further in Abraham in the, the Abrahamic covenant, but, but Shem is the one Shem is the, the continued offspring all the way from Eve that is going to continue to perpetuate this promise of Genesis three fifteen. there. Then we get to Genesis chapter 11 in the tower of Babel. I titled this chapter, say what? Um, <laughs> and, and this is kind of an interesting scene and it's, it's one that, uh, that is a little bit confusing and maybe oversimplified just because of, of the history that we have of felt boards and everything else. This was more about, uh, this was more than them just getting together saying, Hey, how, how tall can we build this tower? Uh, it says that they were looking to build a name for themselves. And so there was a, a pridefulness there, but there was also, this tower was a tower of fortification. Uh, this word is used elsewhere of defense towers and places where people would go for shelter. And so this people group, rather than fulfilling the creation mandate, mandate, which was to multiply and fill the earth, they were disobeying God by grouping together. And then beyond that, they were not looking for security and identity in God. They were wanting to look for it in themselves. And so they were building this massive tower, this massive fortification that in the the text it says was going to reach up to the heavens. And so this was a a pretty impressive uh, edifice there, so much so that even God himself takes notice of it and says, hey, we need to go do something about this because if they succeed in this, they won't stop at anything. And I don't, this is not God being afraid that, uh, that somehow man is going to thwart his plans or, or come after him. I think this is God being merciful to mankind in some ways saying, look, if they continue in this, then they're going to continue on their downward, downward spiral in depravity. And we're going to end up back in Genesis six all over again. We need to go down there, confuse the language, spread them out, get this to, to stop. And so that's why God doesn't just go down and knock the tower over. That would have been a setback, but that wouldn't have dealt with the real issue. The real issue was mankind was disobeying what God wanted, which was the earth to be popular with many languages and many people groups and many nations. Fast forward all the way to where we just left off at the end of the year. Around the throne, eventually, there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's part of God's plan, this tapestry of the nations that will come together to worship him. This was an attempt to uh, usurp God's plan in that regard, to to stay together and be one group. And that's why God does go down and confuse things the way that he does. Yeah, man, I'm with you on this. In fact, I heard about this passage when I was a young boy. Um, we were into the TBN, which is in California, the channel Turner Broadcasting Network, uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul and Jan Crouch. Yep. And all the guys that believe along with well, what they believe in, and they talked about this. I think it was Creflo Dollar, if I'm not mistaken. And it, it may not be. There was there's several people that I heard on, at that point in time, but it made mention of this passage saying, "Look, the Tower of Babel shows that mankind, if you would just believe, if you have faith in yourself, if you could profess what what God has given you." man, even God himself can't stop you. And I remember seeing that as a young man thinking, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel yeah, quite no, like God. It does not. And I wasn't a Bible student by any stretch of the imagination, but I remember hearing that verse thinking, that doesn't quite fit right. So I'm with you, man. This is not a commendation. God's not saying, man, you guys are amazing. <laughs> you gotta, so this is one of those sections where great Coco likes to say, never read a Bible verse. Yeah. Read the section. Read, read more than that. Read the context. And context is key here because even though it sounds like a, a commendation on the face of it, if you're just reading that verse, it feels like God's saying, man, those guys, you guys got it good. Incredible. No. Well, what's happening here is God's displeased by them because they're doing the exact opposite of what he told them to do. So this is not a good thing. I'm with you. This is a mercy for God to say, look, I'm going to stop you from digging your own grave. Right. I'm going to disperse you so that you can be at least slowed in your wickedness and not approved of. Yep. Yep. 
Well, Genesis 11 does end on a good note, though, because it, it reminds us that God's promise will is continuing. And here we have Abraham, Abram mentioned for the first time, not Abram Kim, uh, but Abram, whatever Abram's last name was, uh, mentioned for the first time in Genesis 11, 26. And, uh, and so Abram is there. Sarai is mentioned as his wife would become Sarah in Genesis eleven twenty nine. You've got Lot mentioned for the first time here in Genesis eleven thirty one. So uh, there are uh, some familiar characters for us that are about to take center stage in a big way as we move into what's known as the patriarchal period, which on that note is why tomorrow morning when you tune in, when you listen to this, we're going to not be here anymore, but we're going to be in the book of Job. We'll touch on a little bit more why, but it has a lot to do with the, the, the setting and the context being the patriarchal period. And we'll talk about more of that tomorrow. So join us again tomorrow as we uh, continue to dive into God's word in 2024. See you then guys. Keep reading your Bibles. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.